You know what I absolutely love? I, I love, I don't know about you, but um, I know a lot of you love to go to the Cincinnati Zoo. I love going to the Cincinnati Zoo. And, uh, you know, there's, got, there's tigers there and there's lions and you know, they got the elephants and they got all these wild creatures. But you know what my favorite, my favorite animal is the sloth. I tell you, I don't know. I could just, I could just sit there forever and watch the sloth. I pull up a lawn chair in front of his cage and watch him sleep for 15 to 18 hours a day. All right. And then when he actually moves, you know, he, the, the sloth moves so slowly and, and lies around so much that he, he, green moss grows on the, he gets like a green, like moss or stuff grows on the outside of his fur and everything. And he licks it for nutrition. He just, <laughs> The sloth just it moves so slowly that it, it, the moss grows on this thing. So doesn't that sound? Don't you want to come with me to the zoo next time? We'll pull up a lawn chair next to the sloth. They're like, yes, the sloth. Wait, it moved. Look, it moved. Oh my god! Does that sound exciting? Not really. Not really. I'll tell you what. He's too slow. He's too lazy, and sleeps way too much for for my liking, for my taste. Um, no one in this room, I would, I would think, no one really around likes to be called lazy or slothful, right? Someone calls you slothful or lazy, you don't like it. And we don't like it when other people are lazy. Even at home, you know, you're, you ask your kids to do something or you ask someone to do something or at work, whatever, and the person doesn't get it done. And you're like, man, you are so lazy, it is just so late. All I ask you to do is pick this up, move it over here, or take the trash down. Or, but it's just so lazy. We don't like it when other people are that way, and we don't like it when people call us lazy. See, the Bible calls laziness, and I know this word is, you can't use the word anymore. The Bible calls laziness a sin, okay? It's a sin, all right? And it is, it is an epidemic, if you will, in our culture. And so many people in the culture have this laziness. And this morning, I want to talk about the slothful person or the sluggard. All right. We brought this up before. I've, I've talked about it a little bit before, but I want to I want to bring the whole sermon around this idea of diligence. The lost, you know, the lost virtues, forgotten virtues, diligence, hard work, caring about your work. And I want here. I'm going to define a sluggard for you. It means a lazy, sluggish person. But I went. I went beyond that. Here's here's some here's some definitions. A ne'er do well. Okay. When's the last time you heard that? A layabout. They say that in Australia, I guess. A do nothing. An idler. A loafer. A lounger. Good for nothing. You're like, man, that's kind of mean. Well, that's just. I'm just telling you. That's a definition of a sluggard. That kind of sums it up. Now, before I move on, I have to tell you a little bit about my background. If you don't know me at all, if, you, if you've been here for a while, I've, I've given you different uh, ideas of where I've come from. And, but I need to give you the background so that you understand where I'm coming from. Um, I grew up in New York for most of my life, moved around uh, up through sixth grade, but landed in New York when I was in, uh, like I say, about sixth grade. It was uh, my mother and father got divorced early on. And so my mom and I ended up in an apartment complex in an area that was more, it was, it was New City, New York, so it was a little more um, upper middle kind of thing. But our apartment complex was really the low, only low income apartment complex in our, in our area, in our town. 
And that's all we could afford. It was just the two of us. My mom worked. And, and so, you know, she, she worked really, really hard, always worked really, really hard, but really never made enough money to make ends meet. So it was, we were always, we always struggled. I remember, um, when I was growing up, I had, I mean, my, I didn't have like a big closet. All I needed was like some t-shirts, some colored t-shirts for the summertime and then colored sweatshirts. I remember having for the wintertime, a couple of pair of sneakers, maybe one or two pair of sneakers and some jeans, just wash them, you know? So I didn't have a lot of clothing. I didn't have a lot of stuff. I didn't really think about the fact that I was, Oh, we were so poor, but reality was we were poor. Um, the most difficult thing I remember is when we, my, my mom went to uh, social services one time and asked for, she said, if we just had 30 to $50 more a month, we'd be fine. All we need is like $50 more, $30 more a month, and we can make it. And they said either you take it all or you get nothing. Either you quit your job, take all, take all of it. And she wouldn't do that. She liked her job. She liked the idea of being a, being a working woman and working and, pr- and providing for us, for the two of us. And so she kept on working. But I remember at one point, we did go on food stamps. And I don't know about now. I know they have, people have credit cards and things like that. But I remember when we were on food stamps, I'd stand away from my mom. Like she'd have to go up online. I would stand. I would pretend I didn't know her kind of thing. And we would kind of she'd go up there and use these little stamps kind of thing. And, and, and for her, it was it was really embarrassing. It was difficult. She ended up not. She ended up going off of that, even though we still struggle. She went up going off of the food stamps. I remember when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, getting up at like five something in the morning, six o'clock in the morning and going and shoveling a doctor's office, um, shoveling their, their walkway. They pay me 15 bucks every time it snowed, no matter how much it snowed. It snows a lot in New York in the wintertime. So I made some good money. But my mom had to get me up and drive us in a 1973 Super Beetle, which one of the worst mistakes I ever made was giving that Super Beetle to one of our family members, and they sold it. I love that car. Wish I could have it back now. It's probably worth more now than when my mom bought it. 1973 Super Beetle, a white little beetle. She had to get up with me to drive me to the doctor's office so I could make the 15 bucks every time it snowed. And I remember we're at 14 years old. I don't know how, how they how I actually got to work at Lawn Doctor when I was 14, but I worked at Lawn Doctor when I was 14, pushing lawn machines up and down these hills and stuff like that after school or in the summertime. Ended up getting a herniated disc from the whole thing when I was 14 years old. So I tell you those stories, okay, so that you understand where I'm coming from. So no one can sit here and say as I go through this, because some of it you're going to be like, oh, that's so offensive. It's not offensive. It's what the Bible, it's just, I'm teaching you what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God says. So I'm not coming at it from a point of view where I don't understand what it means to be poor. And I don't understand what it means to have resources. I don't understand. I do understand. I understand. I have that background. So as I go through this, I want you to have that as a foundation. So let's begin in, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. It says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider its ways, and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores up provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Okay? So when we look at the ant, we see um, a picture of what it is to have a good work ethic. Consider the ant. Man, the ant is always working hard. It's always working. And it seems to work best, if you notice, in community. So when it gets in its community, an ant by itself, eh, you know, pretty tough, pretty strong, I guess. But it can easily be taken on by other bugs and things like that. But an ant together, when those ants get together in community, they are unbelievable. They're always, you ever notice, they're always busy marching somewhere, right? 
and accomplishing something. And if you ever watch them and what they're able to accomplish, it's extraordinary. I mean, if it's like a big grasshopper or something like that, they grab and a couple of them will drag this grasshopper back into their nest. They are relentless, relentless workers, good work ethic. And their movements don't seem to be very haphazard. You don't see ants usually when they're fighting with more ants, walking in circles or carrying on that way. They're usually very, very direct, all right? Very focused in their, in their movements, not very haphazard. Now, I remember when I was growing up, I, I'd sit around and, and I'd watch the ants. I'd sit down. You've done this before when you were younger and watch them do their thing. And I would, I would find like little obstacles to put in front of them and see what they would do, right? You think, oh, that's mean. Come on. Some of you guys had those magnifying glasses and burnt the poor hands. So I don't want to hear about me making, you know, send the poor hands, you know. I just wanted to see if they could get around the obstacle. I'm like, oh, I have nothing better to do. I'll put a big stick in the way. See what they do. And the ants, they would, you know, they would look at the thing. You could see them going, man, who put the stick in the way, right? But then after a while, they figured out they always got back to the route that they were on. They go over the stick, they go under the stick, they go around the stick. Whatever it had to do, they did what they had to do in order to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. They stayed focused. And they could overcome almost any obstacle that you put in their way. Almost any obstacle. And the ant didn't make excuses about things, right? The ant didn't make any excuses. They didn't go back to the colony and say, man, you can't believe this. This big human put a big stick in the way. I quit. Stinking humans. I'd say, I'm just going to go sit over here and do nothing now. You guys go. If you want to be bothered with big sticks and everything, I'm going to quit. No, they're industrious. They were ambitious, if you will. They're self-motivated. They didn't ever, I didn't ever see like the the ants line and then other ants over here yelling or or standing there with something or running over and biting the ant to make it move. Come on, let's go. You move on. You get a, they didn't need a captain. They didn't need a whatever. They didn't have someone standing there or something standing there, basically forcing them to do what the ant does. They just did it. They were together. They worked together. They also worked at the right time, right? The Bible says, Proverbs says, that they worked in season, that in, to, to gather their provisions in season in the summer. So they, they thought about, they were, they were in a situation where, okay, winter's coming. We have to gather in season to make sure we're protected for the summer. They thought ahead, if you will. That's the idea here. They were thinking ahead. They they had a plan. You get it now. Now, you know, make hay while the sun shines, right? That's their attitude. When the sun is shining, you've got to make the hay. You've got to work now. You can't wait till later. They worked when there was opportunity, and they rested when it was appropriate. Because there is an appropriate time to rest. Starts raining, they're gone, right? Appropriate time to hang out in the nest, whatever they, in the little colony. Something going on, fire, what, or it's nighttime now. Whoop, they're in there, not going to get eaten by all those whatever comes out at night, spiders and everything. So they're in there. They rested when it was appropriate. The ant is a picture of diligence. Diligence. Work needs to be done. We're going to do the work. We're going to plan ahead. We're going to pro- provide provisions for our colony. We're going to take care of what is necessary. Proverbs then says the sluggard should consider the ant. Consider the ant, you sluggard. Consider what the ant does. The attitude, that attitude of diligence really should also be how we characterize our own work, right? All of us here. 
It should characterize all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3, 23, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters or for men. Work at it with all of your heart. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Diligent. Be diligent. Be disciplined. This is what I need to do. I'm going to get this done. If you're, in, if you're in school, then your responsibility is to do your homework. Your responsibility is to study for the test. Your responsibility is to get the best grades that you possibly can. Because you're thinking of the future. I want to graduate from high school. I want to start a business. I want to go to college. In order to do that, I need to. I need to. You need to be diligent. can't sit around. You need, to, you need to learn a trade. You need to learn something. So you're preparing for your future. That should characterize the Christian. I remember working for Exxon. And when I was working for Exxon, man, I'll tell you what. I could tell you stories about Exxon for, I mean, for hours and hours. I remember one time I'm working for Exxon. And uh, some guy walks up and he says, oh, Marlboro Lights. And I, oh, I look, oh we're all out of Marlboro Lights. He didn't like that at all. So I'll, I'll, I'll I mean, back up a little bit and tell you how this kind of came about. My boss and my supervisor um, said, hey, you know, we'll save a lot of money if we buy like 200 cases of soda and put them outside and people can buy them because we'll save money. We'll save, we'll charge the same amount. And I'm thinking this thing is open 24 hours a day. OK, and we're in New York, right on the, the right on the, the main, almost on the main highway. You come off our gas station, go on the main highway. And I'm thinking people are going to be here all the time. And sometimes people don't show up to work. And those sodas are going to be or pop are going to be sitting out there depending where you come soda pop how's that the soda that's my new yorker in me saying soda um so the soda pop's going to be sitting the pop's going to be sitting out there and uh, no one's going to be watching it and lo and behold people would show up late for their shift or whatever else and uh, and sp- someone would come along steal a case and steal steal a six pack and steal another six and and after and you're some, i'm supposed to count every night Da-da-da-da. how many we have how many we sell dang it man three were stolen ah four were stolen so at the it was coming to the end of the month and i was going to have to account for these because my supervisor would say, well, you should have watched him. All right. So the guy comes up to the window. So now I'm in a dilemma with how many sodas were taken. I'm in a dilemma. Guy comes up to the window, knock, knock, knock. He's like, you know, hey, I need Marlboro lights. Oh, no Marlboro lights. He, he looks at me, doesn't say anything, gets in his, goes back and gets in his Cadillac, right? And then decides he's mad about the fact that we don't have Marlboro lights. He guns it. And you have to picture how many 200 cases or whatever of soda are. I mean, it's like six feet wide and eight feet tall. And he rams the soda with his car. I mean, he just rams it. And, he's, and it goes, bam, and it's an explosion of soda. It's like hanging out the back of his car. And he's, he's cutting out. He's dragging it down 304, you know, the road that we are, we're on. He's dragging it down the road. You go outside, it smells like all kinds of, you know, cherry soda, you know what I mean, orange soda, whatever. Coke is all over the place. It's splattered. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're not getting it yet, because now I had to go out. I called the police. Ah, someone crammed into the soda. It was like the 28th of the month, too. It's like, oh, he said, well, and I called my supervisor. Oh, someone crashed into the soda. He says, just count up all the sodas, whatever, you know, and then subtract. (laughs) Beautiful. Because forget how many were stolen. I'm going to blame for it now. Here's how many I started with. Here's how many I finished with. And here's how many he wrecked. I don't, can I tell you, what am I going to go back and say, well, I'm not sure how many he wrecked into. So he had a police report. It was great. It was fantastic. I had that. So, all right. I tell you that story for no reason, just uh, because I wanted to. All right. So, 
So I'm working for Exxon, right? And you get people at Exxon and you hire them. And it was three thirty-five an hour. Tells you how old I am, right? It was 50 cents an hour. No, it was three thirty-five an hour. And people would come in. And what I noticed was when I started working there, my boss said, when you, after your, like right before your shift, I want you to go in the bathroom and clean it all up, clean the bathroom out. We get inspected every month. I want you to clean the oil off the island. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to keep this place spotless. And I want you to do your job, the rest of your job. Pick up the cigarette butts in the parking lot and all that kind of stuff. So go around, pick up all the cigarette butts. The place looks good. Colossians 3.23, I was working for Jesus Christ first, then for Exxon, okay? I don't care if they pay me three thirty-five an hour, 35 cents an hour. If I said I was going to do the job, I went out and did the job. I picked up cigarette butts out the parking lot. I did, cleaned all the oil off the islands and everything. Uh, you know, I went in the bathroom and cleaned it up and never had, I had never had less than a perfect score on any, any inspection when they came over to inspect the station. But you know what most people did? You know what 98.7% of the people did that we hired? Okay, they worked hard enough until they got fired. They worked hard. You know what they say? They say things like, man, I'm not I'm not going to work that hard. I'm not, you know, I'm not working that hard for three thirty five an hour. Why should I work so hard for three? I'm not pick up no cigarette butts. I'm not I'm not clean that oil. What do I look like? I'm not going to do that for them. That's called a fool. You're a fool. Well, you, you agree to something. And then you work just enough so someone's going to give you money to sit down and do nothing else, do the minimum amount, because you decided that you're worth so much more. You know how you get so much more in a business? You know how you do it? Diligence. You know what I did? I cleaned up cigarette butts, did all that kind of stuff. You know what they did? They made me assistant manager. They paid me three thirty-five an hour and made me assistant manager. I started out as a cashier. Then they made me assistant manager. And I worked hard and I picked up cigarette butts and I cleaned the oil thing. I cleaned the toilets and I said, thank you. And I said, you need any oil and everything they asked me to do. And they made me the manager while I was in college. They made me a manager of Exxon, Exxon station. Then they made me a multi-store manager. Why? Because I picked up cigarette butts. I cleaned the oil off thing. I, 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 I said, thank you. I did everything they asked me to do. And then they started paying me nine seventy five an hour plus benefits. Because I picked up cigarette butts and cleaned the oil off the island. I'm not working. Why should I work three thirty-five an hour? You're a sluggard. You have a job and you're a sluggard. That's what the Bible's talking about here. That's what the Bible's talking about. They won't do it. There's a, in Zimbabwe. There is a, there's a, a training a training camp that they have there, a school like a ministry. And I was talking to this gentleman uh, about a year back who was a part of a conference I was a part of. We were sitting around talking about Africa, and he said, you know, the problem with parts of Africa is that the, it's the growing season at certain times. And for example, in Zimbabwe, the growing season may be um, in November. And what you want to plant is you want to plant in, in mid-November because that's when you got the rainy season. You know, you got all the stuff going on the sun's going to be at its peak in december and mid end of december so if you plant in november your plants will be about yo tall before the sun hits its peak and then it really that 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 plant shoots up and you get like a 50 or 75 percent increase in your yield the problem is that christmas break is around november and so people wait until the end of christmas okay until like january to plant so they're plant when they start growing this big, the sun now has, you know, not at its peak. And so they get a really chintzy crop. And even though they tell people plant now in November, I'm not planting in November. I'm, I, I, I'm this time for me to relax. The Bible says to plant in season, to, to do the work in season. If that's November, then do it in November because you're going to reap the benefit 
of all the crops come the end of the season. Oh, no. Oh, no. Can't do that. Don't want to do that. Now's the time to lay around. Now's the time to, to, you know, to do my thing. Sluggard. That's what the Bible will call a sluggard. Go to the ant, you sluggard. So let me take it. Let's take another look at the sluggard in the next few verses in Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. It says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Right? And poverty comes upon you. It says, it says poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. You do that, you keep doing that, and you will be in poverty. We need to see here that the lazy person, this is what we kind of get, the lazy person doesn't want, he wants to lay around, he wants to relax, he wants to rest, he doesn't really, and if he's working, he wants to do as little as possible. How can I work and do as little as possible before these people figure it out and fire me? And every one of you who are a manager or ever managed large groups of people know that. What can I get away with before I get fired and go to the next person and get away with and get fired that's not diligence that's not biblical i've had people i've had people in this church and and recently say to me you know i i oversee a group of like 300 people in my company he said about 20 or 30 of them are hard workers and the rest of them they just they they will steal they whatever they whatever they'll do whatever in order to they'll do what they have to do until you catch them and fire them i was talking to someone someone recently and they were saying i i have a manager and I'm training the manager, I'm spending the time, I'm setting the example, and blah, blah, blah. And they said, you know, the person just is not doing it. They won't do it. They come late. They, they're, they're, they're just, they, they have a wrong attitude. And they said, you know, it's, I, I guess I'm not training enough. I guess I'm not doing the right. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. It has nothing to do with your training. It has nothing to do with you setting an example. It really has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with that person is being lazy. They're being lazy. It's like the person telling me, well, you know, I, well, you didn't, you didn't really explain to me and show me how to pick up that cigarette butt. What, what am I supposed to use on that oil again? I forget that stuff right there. Do I sprinkle it? Do I put water in it? I don't want to read the bag or anything, right? A lot of times when people making excuses that someone didn't, and the people training like, oh, I should have done more, I should have done more. No, the person who works there should have done what you asked them to do. My dad had a person working for him. This is years and years ago. He said he was a wonderful worker. The guy was really a great worker. Came to work on time, left a little late if he needed to, got the job done. My dad said, I want to make you a supervisor. I want to, if you just come, you only work like three days a week. And, and the guy, and he wouldn't work anything more. The guy would never work any more than three days a week. And my dad said, I can make you a supervisor. I could pay you more. I could give you more responsibility, give you your own crew. He said, no, I can't do that. Then I won't get my government subsidies. My dad said, look, I'll, I'll pay you to do it. No, no, no. I don't mind working two, three days a week, three days a week, whatever. But I don't, if I do that, I won't, get, I won't get my subsidies. Something, something terribly wrong there. Sluggards are content to, to let life just pass them by. When it's time to, to harvest, when the time is right, they're resting. When the op- opportunity comes, when opportunity comes knocking, they avoid it. Don't want to work. Don't want to work that hard. Don't want to do it that much. And, they, and then they scream about how how unjust everything is. And they they want they they want their fair share. They want their and I'm not I am not being political. Okay, I am not being I am being biblical this morning, not political. But people say I want I want I want I want I deserve. Remember last week we said people who are, are like sometimes they're selfish and they'll say they'll they'll get into uh, situations where you'll see the arrogant person. You know that's pride, right? 
But then some person, oh, you know, woe is me, woe is me. That's pride too. Because you don't recognize how great this person truly is. They deserve to have this. If you just understood and recognized how fantastic they were, which is pride, you just give them what they deserve, which whether they work for it or not, it doesn't really matter. They just want what's, quote, fair. They, they don't want to work hard. They, want, they don't want... They want what hard work produces. A slugger does, right? A slugger. There's a difference between a poor person and a slugger. Let's make that absolutely clear. A slugger wants what hard work produces. They just don't want to do the hard work and take the risk, okay? They don't want that. But in their minds, they're entitled to what they see around them. They don't want to work hard for it, but they're entitled to it anyway, Here's what so many people are missing in our culture, okay? In the church, forget the culture, in the church. Here's what people are missing. They're missing the fact that people have a sinful nature, okay? They have a sinful nature. And we think, well, you know, I'm not really, you know. No, people have a sinful nature and they're capable of more than you want to imagine. More than you want to believe, okay? okay? More than you want to believe, more than you think or you can even imagine, that people will go into a job and say to themselves, I'm going to work as little as humanly possible because I'm forced to, for whatever reason, because I can't get what I can get for free maybe. Um, in our day, in my, where I was growing up, you really couldn't. So I'm, going to, I'm going to do this because uh, I'm forced to, whatever the case may be, and I'm going to work as little as possible, steal as much as possible from you until you figure it out and fire me, and that's their plan. And you say, oh, no, people aren't like that. You know why you say that? Because you don't believe people have a sinful nature. You don't believe it. And I'm telling you, that's the crux of the problem. People will say, I hear people all the time say, well, no one, no one wants to be poor. Everybody wants to have a job. This is just all good people down in their luck. It's just, it's just that, that's the problem. It's just good people down in their luck. Someone else is holding them back. Someone else is holding them down. And someone else caused them to be in the situation they're in. That's the, that's the crux of it because it couldn't be that the other person is the problem. Here's the problem. What you believe in your mind because you've been sold this is that if we could just if we could just create a perfect system or structure, it isn't the it's not the internal individual that's the problem. It's not the sinful nature that's the problem. It's the systems and the structures that are the problem. And if we can come up with a perfect system and structure, we wouldn't have these problems because everyone is so good. And the only reason they're in the situation they're in is because of situa- systems and 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 and. And all the things that go on, right? Structures. My friends, if you could, if you could, number one, that is true. Systems and structures sometimes um, need to be redeemed. They do. We need to, we need to redeem systems and structures. We need to change some things to make sure that those systems and structures are in place and make sure that everyone has opportunity, opportunity across the board. But the problem is, if you think that changing a system or building a better system and structure is going to solve the problem, you're making a terrible mistake because you always will have sinful choices. There are sinful choices. Until you realize that some people don't, are, some people don't want to work or are completely lazy, you're never going to be able to solve the problem. The problem is internal more than it is external. That's the, that is the crux of the problem. 
See, the truly poor person, the truly poor person doesn't really have a chance sometimes because we, we combine, we mix together the poor and the sluggard. We don't separate them out. So we, we mix together in, in one category, the poor and the sluggard. So the poor person doesn't really have a chance because we're spending so much effort and time on the sluggard because we're not using discernment and we're not saying what is biblical, okay, and what is not. The poor person, given an opportunity, will change their circumstances. The sluggard will not. Does that make sense? Given an opportunity, the poor person is going to change their circumstances. The sluggard is not going to. Why do you think people come in here on Sunday mornings a lot of the time and ask for money? Let me tell you, oh, my daughter's in the hospital and I'm on my way there and I'm just low on gas. Do you have 25 bucks just to give me some gas so I can get to the daughter, my, my daughter in the hospital? Um, so-and-so, my, my parents just died and they're in North Carolina. I need about $50. Just, I just need to get to the funeral and get some gas and everything. And man, and they come in here and they know you're a Christian people. And they know you're in church and you're supposed, right, right? And what would Jesus do, right? Right? But here's the reality. They're lying 90% of the time. They're lying, okay? They're lying. They're stealing your $25 or $50 most of the time. Not all the time. Don't get all, oh, man, that's not right. Most of the time. They're lying. They're stealing your money. They're going to go use your money for something that is probably unbiblical. But we're handing over the money. Why the, how the way they got here and how they know we were... It's interesting that they come right at the right time, just right at the full services. They know exactly when to come. Now, what I'm saying is not politically correct, is it? It isn't. And some people are like having a heart attack almost that I'm actually saying these kinds of things. It's not politically correct, but it's true. And see, I love these people. I love them. I want them to know Jesus Christ. What's going to change their lives? A relationship with Christ. When people come and talk to me, I say, listen to me. Come be a part of the body of Christ. Come be a part of our church. We take care of the people within the body of Christ. We can't take care of the whole world all the time, but we do our best. But when you're in the body of Christ and you're, you're here, you're worshiping, you're serving, we take care of those within the body of Christ. Come here. People can come around you and help you with the issues you have going on in your life. You can become a part of a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study. Let us surround you with love. Let us share the love of Christ. Let us help you. See, everybody gets worked up because they think that's the wrong thing to do, but to just not give someone something. I say you build a relationship with them. You share the love of Jesus Christ with them. You invest in their life. You help them try to find a job, and you give them good words of advice. So what can we learn from the slugger? A couple more things. In Proverbs 24, 30 through 34, it gives us some insight. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of a man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere, and the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. Again, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. We learn that the sluggard makes poor choices. The sluggard makes poor choices. In Africa, another thing the guy taught me was that he said that you take your, your, the best way to plant the, the, the seeds is to, um, is to take them and dig a hole and then put the seeds in the ground and cover them up and make a straight line to avoid. Because here, here's what they do naturally. They just take the seeds and scatter them and then 
with their feet. They just kind of, and they said, no, don't do it that way. You have to bend down and, and, and dig the soil and bend down. But they didn't know people don't want to bend down. And this is not just, this is all over the place. These are just stories that I have from different parts of the world. They don't want, they don't want to bend down. That's the problem. It's bending down. That's the problem. And so it's making poor choices. It's the, it's the poor choices that sometimes people make. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy hands make a poor man, but diligent hands bring wealth. Lazy hands make a poor man and make a poor life, but diligence brings wealth. Now, it's a general principle. It's not always, always the case, but it's a general principle. One of the results of hard work is financial gain. Some of you understand that. You've worked really hard. You've worked really hard to build your life and you get financial gain. But the lazy man or woman, for the lazy man or woman, poverty is basically inevitable. For the most part, it's inevitable. Proverbs twelve twenty four says, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Those who work hard move up the ladder of success most of the time. Those who do not stay where they are. Exxon, three thirty five an hour. Six months later, six, seven months later, I'm making nine seventy five an hour and I have benefits. Why? Because the Bible's true. If I'm diligent, if I work hard, it is usually going to pay off. The passage in Proverbs 26, 16, uh, 13 through 16 gives us a number of different pictures of the sluggers. Let me run through a couple of those. In verse 13, it says, the slugger says, listen to this. There is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Hey, why don't, hey, 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 this week uh, you need the money. Why don't you come over and do this? Oh, sure, sure. I'll be there. I'll be there. Ring, ring. Oh, sorry. I can't do it. My leg, my back, a lion. That's what he's saying, okay? Oh, I'd love to do it, but uh, you know what I mean? Just go, see, see, can't do it. There's a lion outside. Don't want to take any risks. Don't want to step out of my, outside of my comfort zone, whatever the case may be. It's all, it's all excuses. And in this mixed up world, the thing that really is killing me is that people who are diligent are being vilified. People who are diligent and become successful are being vilified by the culture. What is wrong with something starting a business and working really hard on that business and becoming successful? All of a sudden, that's, a, that's, a, that's the sin. This is not the sin anymore. This, is the, this person's the sinful person. You see, the sluggard wants the spoils of hard work and risk, but doesn't want to take the risk or do the hard work to get it. How do you think company, for the younger ones here, how do you think companies get started? Please, before God, okay, don't think that the government greases the wheels, okay, for small business people. They do not. They make it much more difficult now than ever before. I don't, and, and forget Obama or it, it's been happening for years and years and years, okay? They make it much more difficult. A, a, a young, a small business person needs to go out and take a risk with their money. Don't vilify people who are willing to work hard and take risks, okay, to, to, for the reward. And when the reward comes, don't vilify the person who took the risk and deserves the reward of their risk. There's nothing wrong with that. If no one's doing something illegal, immoral, unethical, unbiblical, then what they're doing is right. They're working hard. They should receive the just reward for their hard work. Verse 15, it says this. 
The sluggard buries his head in a dish. He's too lazy to bring it to his mouth. God gives you the food. God gives you the dish, puts the food on the dish. What it's saying is have the ability to at least bring it to your mouth. The food is right there. Pick it up, but the sluggard won't do that because he wants everything given to him or her. They don't want to do, they want everything, they, they don't want to put any effort out. They want everything given to them. God gives us most, and I'm just saying, across the board, God gives us the tools, God gives us the skills to provide for ourselves and for our families. And what happens is the slugger takes those tools and those skills and all that God provided them, their purpose in life, and they throw them away. They don't take advantage of those things. How many people in this culture, how many people in this church, How many people don't use the gifts and the talents and the tools that God has given them? How many of us have allowed fear, allowed fear or laziness to rob us of our purpose? God has a purpose for your life, an incredible plan for your life. How many of us allow fear or laziness to rob us of that purpose? Finally, in verse 16, it says this, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. The slugger considers himself smarter than seven people. And this, in, the seven there is a very important number. It's a, sp- it's a very special number in the Bible. It has to do with completeness. It has to do with perfection. If you can get seven people to agree on anything, they're usually right. If you get seven of them, okay? If you can get all seven to agree on something, then usually what they're agreeing on is right. But the slugger thinks, no, I'm smarter than all those people. I'm smarter. I can lay around. I can rest. I can finagle. I can come in, get your 20 bucks and do this and and work the system. And I can. I'm so smart. I'm smarter than everybody. Smarter than those idiots. Smarter than those fools. Smarter than them. I'm smart. That's what the fool thinks. Doesn't even realize his own foolishness. Because he can work the system. He can play the game. Knows how to do all that. But does not take the same mind that God has given him. To figure out how to play the system or to work you or to lie or whatever they have to do. They don't use that mind that God has given them, that great mind that God has given them. They use it to be able to lay around and say, there's a lion outside my door. Can't do it. Sorry. It's not going to work. He's a fool. Bottom line here. Let me kind of swing back now a little bit here. A good society, a good culture takes care of those in need. Right? If we, we are a good, we are a good culture. We, if you're a good culture, okay, in general, a good culture takes care of people in need. If there's someone who is disabled, they should be protected and provided for by us. When people in our church go through something, we protect and we provide for them. We do it all the time. It's necessary. It's right. It's biblical. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. There are people going through difficult circumstances who need people to come alongside of them. But in our culture, we're spending a trillion dollars, okay, a trillion dollars. And I thought to myself, I started doing the math. I kind of looked some statistics up, trillion dollars. You have a family of three poor people. That's $61,830 per family of three. So why instead of taking that trillion dollars and just giving it without asking people to do anything? Because see, you think, people think, that's so mean. See, that's what burns me up. And you know what's mean? You know what's, you know what's hateful? You know what's, you know what's dis- I'm, I'm sorry. You know what's disgusting and hateful? You know, what's, you know what's mean and heartless and careless and compassionless? 
It's taking someone creating the image of God and, 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 and doing something to them so they spend their entire lives not able to fulfill what God has created them to do. That's wrong. That is wrong. That is evil. That is terrible. To take someone who has been created in the image of God to do something awesome, to impact the lives of all, tons of people around them, to raise their families, to be the person in their hearts, to feel good about who they are in Christ, and to rip that from them, that's wrong. So I had a little epiphany uh, just sitting around yesterday. What if we took the 61? They're not going to do this, and, and, I, and I don't haven't thought the whole thing through, but just hear me out for a second. Take the $61,830 and give it to a small business guy to hire that person. Family of three, add $20,000 to it. Family of four, $80,000. Give that to the person, right? Give that to the person and let them work. Let them learn the trade. Let them get, get, get them involved, okay? Then take away all the subsidies from the huge companies that are not getting taxed. It's $1.5 billion, $1.5 billion a year. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's $150 billion a year, I believe. $150 billion a year. So take that money and take that and put it in the mix. And then the trillion dollars that you weren't getting tax revenue for, now you're getting tax revenue because those people who are working, they're paying taxes, and you bring that all down. Now, that was just my thought yesterday, but that's a better plan than the one we have right now. I called on my congressman one time, right? Got some other guy on the phone. Hey, what's up? I said, listen, bing, 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 bing. He said, I think he turned his machine off. He said, off the record. He goes, that wakes, he said, that makes way too much sense for here. It's never going to go over, he said. Probably turn the machine back on. Well, let me tell you what our car, you know what I'm saying? I get five of you in a room, you can solve this problem. The problem is, when you, can't, when you think something's so simple, but you can't solve the problem, something is deeply wrong, okay? Something is deeply wrong. You give people no desire to change. You give people no incentive to change. And then you call it good. Only a fool would do the same thing for years and years and years and expect different results. Or, or maybe, maybe they know that already. You know what? Giving people something for nothing has caused the collapse of the family. Drug and alcohol abuse run rampant, stealing people's dignity and their identity. Let me ask you a question I want you to think about, okay? When you, when you destroy the structure of the family, what structure takes its place? See, we're not in a battle against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. Destroy the family. When you destroy the structure of the family, what system, what structure takes its place? I'm just asking the question. I want you to answer the question. Even good people, even solid people can be turned into sluggards by well-meaning or maybe not so well-meaning people or governments. See, people are afraid to go out and work because they've never seen it modeled. There are people in Appalachia who've been on, on assistance for, for generations. And the fear of getting up in the morning and going to do something you've never seen anyone else do. I'm not saying everyone there, okay? St- don't think of that. You know what I'm talking about. There are people there for generations who are stuck in this system. And the idea of getting up in the morning and getting to work on time or going to do something that you've never seen anyone else do, it's frightening, that's, I'm not being mean-spirited. It's just frightening for people. That's why they don't do it. It's scary. Someone needs to come along and walk them through this. Help them through this. Stop. Listen, we need to stop giving people stuff, and we need to start giving them us, ourselves. We need to offer knowledge and tools and training and jobs and a new way of thinking. 
What the sluggard needs is Christ. They need Jesus Christ. They don't need another sandwich. They don't need another sandwich. They need someone to offer them some spiritual knowledge. They need someone to tell them the truth, not give them some thoughtless sentiment or just start spewing off the latest politically correct slogan. That's not what people need. That's not what people need. They need Christ and they need Christians to come around them and walk them through this and help them through this and show them something that's better that God has for them. A diligent person, a poor person doesn't want to hand out. They want to hand up. They just want help. Someone help me. I'm afraid. I'm not sure how to fill this out. I'm not, I've never seen anyone do this before. Come alongside me and help me. And if you truly want to understand, I know I'm going long. I'm sorry. I go long every Sunday now. Um, if you truly want to, if you really want to understand the problem, you want to understand the problem. Stop reading so much about the problem. Stop, stop liking stuff. Oh, I like that on Facebook. Oh, I've done my part. No, you haven't. Stop listening to your professor who probably never even went to a soup kitchen in their lives. It's all theory. They want to shove down your throat. They want to shove down a a political agenda or an ideology down your throat and ask them, sir, when are we, or ma'am, when are we going to help? Well, I'm going to tell you, blah, 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 blah. Go, I've talked to them. Hey, want to help? Want to go with me? I want to go. He want to help? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm helping by educating. Oh, golly, Ned. Take the time to serve. Invest your time. We, we, are, we are going to, we're going to take, hopefully, the elders talked about this, one of the houses that we're just buying over here and turning it into an aging out foster care facility, if that be God's will. We take two kids. Maybe we'll start out with two girls who have, that are handpicked by the people who know what they're doing out there. We put them in there. We as a church come around them. We help get them into college. We help them start a job. We help them find a job. Whatever it takes to invest in the lives of those two girls. We give all of our energy and our time to those two girls to help them become the people they were created to be. We have a group of people going out in Mexico in November who are going to train the kids in the HOPE program who are coming out of college. They're nervous. They're afraid. They've never done this before. We're going to help them. We're going to walk them through the process of how you write this and how you do an interview you and what can you do how you start a business we're going to do all those things we're opening the orca center where we're going to have more more incubation and acceleration we're going to have a lab back there where people can come in and be inspired be inspired to start new businesses and hire other people maybe the two girls that we'll work with maybe they'll get hired by some one of you starts a new business is inspired by that kind of thing the african village given an opportunity for people to go up there and experience what it's like to be in a poverty situation who will then go, you know what? This is unacceptable. I'm going to do something about it. That, my friends, will change the world. That, my friends, is the answer. The answer is not to give someone something for nothing that is not biblical. It is not loving. It's not compassionate. Compassion is giving of yourself, sacrificing of yourself, giving of all that you have to help someone else come out. Because if you're working with a poor person, they will snatch hold of it and they will change their circumstances. They desire to do that. Now they have the incentive to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And God, I just pray 
that you would help us be a church that doesn't just talk. I know we're not, but Lord, I want to go beyond that. Give us the passion. Give us the excitement. Give us the enthusiasm to apply everything that you say in your word. May we apply it to our lives. May we apply it to other people's lives. May we lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. May we share the gospel. That is what will change the world. Not any programs. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.